The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. When God gave the Ten Commandments out loud, He gave them primarily to adults. And so the fifth commandment here, to honor our father and our mother, is not something that we should think of only for children, but something we should think of for us at whatever stage of life we're in. Perhaps even our parents are long gone, and yet there is still something that God is at work in through this gracious commandment. So if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 72. You want to be there so you can follow along. The title of today's sermon is Honor Your Father and Your Mother Taken Directly from God. My wife, unfortunately, right now is very sick. She doesn't get sick often, but she's very sick today, so she's at home. And I was thinking about the connection between love and deed. If I came home later this afternoon and I told my wife, uh, you know, I love you very much, but I want you to know that's a sentiment I have, and I'm never going to do anything about it. That would hopefully not be received well. First John three eighteen says, Beloved, let us not love in word and in talk, but in deed and in truth. So love always acts. Action is intrinsic to love. But further, if I came home this afternoon, this is a little more subtle but important, and I said to her, Steph, um, I love you very much, but I will decide and define what love is. So what you think is totally unimportant to me, because the most important way for me is to love myself. So I'm going to watch basketball the rest of the afternoon. You stay sick and take care of the kids. She might say, Josh, I love you enough to pack your bags for you. <laughs> um, and that would be good. In, in our culture, we do something very silly. We, we act like love could be defined by us. Of course it can't be. The first, second, third, and fourth commandment, God's telling us how we love him. And the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth commandment, God's telling us how we love each other. Jesus says the commands can all be summarized, love God and love your neighbor. And the first neighbor you ever love is the one who gave you birth. So in today's passage, we see how to love our neighbor nearest to us by honoring our father and mother. Here's how the sermon's going to break down to make it as simple as I can. Part one, what does this commandment actually say? Part two, why does it say it? And then part three, how can we fulfill it? Okay, so what, why, how? First, we're at the what. Look in God's word, Exodus 20, verse 12. This is the part we zoom way in and see what the text says. It begins with the word honor. Seems like a small thing, but that's a, it's a really important thing. In Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word kabad, which is normally only used for God. One other nerdy grammatical thing, it's in the PL stem, which is in a way to intensify it. Here's a way to think about that. If you're having people over and you decide what plates to use... You may decide between paper plates and fine china. There's a big difference between those. The fine china is literally weightier. It is heavier, and it's of much greater value. God is using the word kabad about parents. He's saying there's something unique about that relationship that deserves weight and value and honor. Honor them that way. Old Testament scholar Bruce Walk, he says, to acknowledge someone as weighty, to honor your parents as weighty, is to esteem them as having value. The term is usually used in worship, otherwise reserved for God himself. 
Now let's continue the verse. It begins with honor, a weighty term. But now the next phrase is actually also really important. It says, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. There's a lot of things we could say about that. First, I just want you to know that God's design is for there to be a father and a mother. Now, there are many times that that design is unfortunately broken, and that happens, and it happens to us, and it may be tragic. Many children grow up without a father and a mother, or a father or a mother, and there are things outside of their control that they had no involvement in, and yet it is still a lamentable thing. Sometimes, if we're honest, that breakdown might have been caused by us. It may not have been done to us, but may have been caused by us. And so we need great grace, and God can give it to restore and even work in the fall to redeem when the design is broken. But notice that it is the original design. We especially need this reminder now because we now are saying things like this. Well, that may have been God's design a long, long time ago. But now that we have technological advancements, we can detach relationships from biology. We don't need biology to have relationships. We can make any amalgam of family that we want to make. But I want to remind you this morning, God's design of father and mother was not because he lacked the technology. (laughs) Remember, he made Adam and Eve without technological (laughs) dearth. So God's design for a father and a mother, a man and a woman, to loyally love one another in the home is his design for human flourishing. And let me say something more, not only for human flourishing, but also as a gospel primer. Because the home should be the first place where you see fatherhood because you have a father God. And you see selfless love between a husband and wife because there is a groom who died for his church. That makes it easier to hear the gospel. The home's supposed to be a gospel primer. And when it breaks down, it does make hearing the gospel harder. All right, let's continue now. Verse 12 continues. That was already number one. Number one was what? What is the commandment? It's to honor your father and your mother. Why do we have the commandment? Well, the verse actually tells us. Verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Why? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. What I'm going to argue from the Bible is that the reason, firstly, that we should honor our father and mother is because that is the building block of human flourishing. In Deuteronomy 15, this is brought up again, and there we're told to love the Lord your, or sorry, to honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. In Ephesians 6, when Paul brings this to the New Testament, he quotes both. He quotes both Exodus 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 15. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We've been memorizing that at home, not practicing it as well, but we are memorizing it as home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why? The text goes on to say, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. Paul puts them both together. Phil Riken writes, here it's helpful to know that when the Bible talks about living long in the land, it's not simply talking about how old people are when they die. The expression live long in the land is a Hebrew phrase for the fullness of God's blessing. It means to have abundant life. 
Didn't you catch that from Ephesians 6? Paul puts them both together. Live long, live well when we honor our father and mother. Now, let me press something that I think is very important. Did you notice the order? If you honor your father and mother first, then it will go well in the land second. So if things go well in the home, then they'll go well for the nation. Let me press it. It does not work the other way around. So it's not like if we could really make the state strong, then they could raise our kids. No, (laughs) no. No, if it's the home is strong, then it's a benefit to the nation. Actually, the text is telling us there's an inverse relationship between them two. When the home is working as it ought, the oversight of the state is less necessary. You see? So that's what the text is telling us. Now, many smart Christians have noticed this, but even non-Christians have noticed this. Plato, who's normally not worth quoting, (laughs) said this, the saga of a nation is the saga of its families written large. Now today, we understand Exodus 20, verse 12, in political theory, under a heading called the principle of subsidiarity. The principle of subsidiarity teaches this. When things are working at the smallest unit, they benefit the larger units, and so you don't need bureaucratic oversight over the smaller units. This is a wonderful truth that is from the Bible. Now, now that we know that, that the smallest units control the fate of all the larger units, don't you think that the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, don't you think he has a vested interest in destroying the home? He knows there's something about the home that is impactful in a reverberating way for many other things. Think of it this way. Imagine a husband and a wife have three children. If God destroys that home, how many people has he destroyed? The answer is many more than five. Their future families, their connections, their neighbors, their ripple effect. You see, it's almost like bowling pins that are close enough that if you get one, you usually get more than one. So the first reason that God has given us this commandment is because it's the building block of human flourishing. Tony Evans put it well. All human relationships are based on what a child learns at home. But now reason number two. Why is this fifth commandment here? It's first given because it's the building block of human flourishing, but it's second given because honoring our father and mother is actually integral to honoring our heavenly father. All human authority is derivative of ultimate authority. And remember, I said the Hebrew word is kabad, and it's normally only used for God. Douglas Stewart, then an Old Testament commentator, writes this. The prior commandments were all concerned in one way or another with the necessity of honoring God as a basic means of keeping his covenant. Now comes the commandment that follows logically because it's concerned with honoring parents who have the awesome role in the family of representing God to their children. Now you could object this morning and say, Josh, see, this is exactly the problem. Authority is the problem. This is a common opinion that many people have. They say all authority is intrinsically abusive and all authority ever does 
is harm people. Well, let's first say we need to be sensitive to that unfortunate reality that very often authority is abused. And let me hasten to say God hates when authority is abused. In Proverbs 27, verse 15, the Bible says this, He who acquits the guilty or condemns the innocent are both an abomination to the Lord. So acquitting the guilty or condemning the innocent is an abomination to the Lord. Let's lament when authority is abused and let's work to correct when authority is abused. But let's also say it is possible to wield authority well. And there are some who, by God's grace, not perfectly, but well, wield their authority. And when that happens, it's good for all of us. Proverbs 11, verse 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. So yes, let's lament when authority is abused. But let's also be thankful. Did you know there are good teachers? There are some. (laughs) There are good police officers. There are good parents. There are good fathers. There are some good pastors. There might even be a few good politicians. (laughs) But there are some who can, by God's grace, not perfectly, but genuinely, wield the authority that God has given them in a way that is a blessing. All right, one more objection on that. You could say, all right, Josh, I get it. Authority could be good or bad. But that's why I'll be my own authority. If I just follow myself, then I don't have to worry about getting involved with everybody else. First, let me point out that that's an illusion that never really works. At some point, authority has to be wielded. In the 1960s, there was a creed. Some of you are old enough, you may have said it. The creed was never trust anyone over, do you know the rest? 30, 30, never trust anyone over 30. Now those people are tenured professors in our schools (laughs) and leaders of our country, because at some point, you have to wield that authority. Also, to think that authority uh, is, is a problem because, you know, it's just a bad generation. Let me read a quote to you. Youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when their elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They talk too much in company. They guzzle their food. They lay their legs on the table, and they tyrannize their elders. You want to know who said that quote? Socrates. 400 years before Jesus. So apparently, struggling to interact with authority is not a problem of the 60s. It's a sin problem, not a generational one. It doesn't have to do with our culture or our society. It has to do with something in our hearts that isn't quite right. And so if we say, the only authority I'll follow is myself, I don't need any authority outside of me. First of all, we won't do that because someone somewhere else is doing something we don't think they should be doing. And we'll tell them, you need to stop doing that. And they'll say, why? And we'll say, because I said so. And they'll say, well, I don't care what you think. We need something higher than us to which we're all accountable. In 1958, Oxford philosopher Elizabeth Anscombe wrote the the essay, Modern Moral Philosophy. She argued that oughtness, anyone has morals, but moral obligation can only be tied to a transcendent creator. She said, to make others live a certain way, where does it come from now? Why should someone else have a duty to follow my moral feeling if he or she doesn't share it? Anscombe concluded, 
Modern people should stop using the word ought because there's no longer a way to justify it. That was 1958. So a good reminder for us all, in order for there to be any truth, there has to be a transcendent creator that obliges us. And here's the good news. There is ultimately perfect authority, and it's from God. God is perfectly good. Here's a quick sidebar then for us as parents. Parents who are not perfect, as I painfully know. Let us, by God's grace, honor God so that we'll wield our authority honorably. Let us honor God first so that we can wield our authority honorably. We want, a children, we want to only tell our children no when we know that's in line with God's word. We want to tell them yes as it's in line with God's word. And this is very important, parents. Never give rules without relationship because rules without relationship only breeds rebellion. We saw in Exodus 20, verse 1, the Lord said, I'm your God who redeemed you. Therefore, that's why I'm giving you these 10 words to live by. And as parents, because we're not God, one of the most common ways we wield our authority well is we confess our need for Jesus by confessing our sin to our children. Daddy was wrong in the way he talked to you. Will you please forgive me? That's important in our business place as well. I was wrong in the way I led us in this meeting. I was wrong this last year in the things I prioritized. Will you please forgive me? I have an authority higher than me who's perfect. All right. Now I'm going to give us part three. All right. Part, th- part one was what is the commandment? Part two was why do we need it? Now part three is how do we fulfill it? And here's how I'd like to do part three. Uh, if you're a note taker, <laughs> you'll need your pen ready. I'm going to give you seven positive statements. Because the fifth commandment is one of only two that is given positively. Not what we should not do, but what we should do. So here's seven things we should do, things that we can do to fulfill this commandment. Seven things put in a phrase, in a statement. Here's number one. The first statement. Yes, mom and dad. We should hear ourselves saying yes, mom and dad. This is especially true if you live at home. It should be common for you to say to your mom and dad, Yes, mom and dad. As you age, there's increased freedom, increased dynamics of the way your relationship works, but commonly you're saying yes to your mother and father. Proverbs 1 verse 8, after saying in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now in verse 8, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, you could be thinking, but Josh, aren't there limits to parental authority? Well, well, sure. If your parent commands you to do something God forbids, or if they forbid you to do something God commands, then they're trying to take God's place, and we have to obey God rather than men. And we know that over age, the dynamic changes. But generally speaking, we say, yes, mom and dad. Now, number two, we say, how are you, mom and dad? As you age, and your parents age as well, um, it should be common for you to take the first step to call them, to reach out to them, to show your dad that 15th time how the Zoom thing works on his phone so that we can see each other. We, we keep up with them because Proverbs 10 verse 1 says, a wise son makes a glad father. Proverbs 23, 15, verse 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak 
what is right. Don't let excessive busyness keep you from asking your mother and father how they are doing, especially as they age. Your call might be the most exciting part of that day for them. Number three, this is a very important one. We say, Mom, Dad, I forgive you. God, I forgive them. This is a very important one. Tim Challies writes, perhaps the most important way we can honor our parents is to forgive them. The fact is there are no perfect parents. All parents have fallen far short of their children's expectations and likelihood their own. Our parents have sinned against us. They've made unwise decisions. They have unrealistic expectations and they said and did things that may have wounded us. But we can best honor them by extending grace and forgiveness to them. Forgive them. You might be thinking this morning, how do I honor a parent that's unworthy? I would first say, they're all unworthy. I would then say, remember Jesus who is perfect and is honoring a father and mother who are not. But I would want us to remember that our parents, though they're unworthy, there's a certain line that we won't cross. I heard a story of a child who was on his bicycle and he was zipping around the street over and over and tears were coming down his face. And he did this so many times that eventually a police officer noticed him and said, son, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm running away from home. And he said, you're, you're going in circles around the block. And the kid said, my mom said, I can't cross the street. <laughs> so just going around. I love that image, though, because it reminds us that there was a certain point that he wouldn't cross. And to forgive your parents means there's a certain point that you just don't cross. Here's my favorite illustration in the Bible. In Genesis 9, Noah, and Noah has been called a godly man by God. Noah has now survived the flood. But in Genesis 9, Noah gets drunk and he does something lewd or indecorous that the Bible doesn't describe in full detail. When he does that, his one son, Ham, points at him and wants other people to laugh at their father, who is a failure. But then his other two sons, Ham, or Shem and Japheth, pick up a covering. And this is very important. Stick with me. They they walk backwards. They cover him. And then they move forward. If you're still mad at what your mom and dad did, you need to cover it and move forward. Forgive them. All right, number four. We say, I appreciate this about mom and dad. I appreciate this about mom and dad. Leviticus 20 verse 9 says, Anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Proverbs 30 verse 17 is my favorite on the the matter. It says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That's a memorable proverb. Tim Challies writes, We live at a time where it is considered noble to air our grievances. When it is considered therapeutic to air our dirty laundry. We think little of telling the world exactly what we think of our governors, our bosses, and our parents. Yet the Bible warns us that we owe honor and respect to all of the authorities God has placed over us, and our words have power to honor or dishonor. All right, number five. We say, God, thank you that you ordained 
these people to be my mom and dad. Thank you that you ordained them from eternity past that they would be my mother and father. Proverbs 30 verse 11 says, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. If you think long enough, there's something you can say thank you for. Thank them. Thank God for them and let them hear it. Number six, we say, mom, what can I do for you? This one becomes the one we ask the most as they age. First Timothy five says this, verse three, honor widows who are truly widows. Verse eight, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially the members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Proverbs 23, verse 22, listen to the father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. But my favorite passage is this one. In John 19, Jesus Christ is on the cross with literally the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he notices from the cross his mother Mary and says out to John, John, behold your mother, and says to Mary, Mary, behold your son. Jesus is making sure that his mom, who is a widow at this point, will be taken care of by a trustworthy person, the apostle John, as he's dying. Now, there's something even more wise there. Jesus had siblings, didn't choose them, chose John. Frankly, some of us in our family, that sibling probably isn't going to come through. So you come up with a plan that will honor your father and mother if you can't be there. Jesus shows us how important it is that we think about our mother and father and their final days. Now, finally, number seven, we say, dad, what do you think about this? Now, I know that as we age, our relationships change and I know I'm, I'm married and I need to talk to Steph, never bypass that, obviously. But an important way for me to honor my parents is to still ask them what they think about something, to still be open to their counsel. It honors them when we seek their help, even if in the end we cannot use it. Proverbs 1, again, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Now, what the rest of the Bible says about this is a little shocking for us to hear now. In summary, it says that this is not a light sin or a small thing. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, though they discipline him, he will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of his city at the gate where he lives. They shall say to the elders of the city, this, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard, meaning he's probably grown at this point. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So then you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Actually, the next chapter in the Bible, chapter 21, verse 17, says, Whoever curses his father and mother shall be put to death. Romans 1, when it's describing how bad the world will get when it's withheld from the grace of God, gives a list of all sorts of evil things. We might think of some of them, like murder and violence, and then in the list is disobedience to parents. Second Timothy 3 says, understand this, in the last days, 
things will get worse. People will be this, 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 and then disobedient to parents. Now, you could be thinking, that sounds crazy and extreme. But remember Proverbs seventeen fifteen: Acquitting the guilty or condemning the innocent are both an abomination to the Lord. This, then, is a serious sin. So where does that leave us? It leaves us in need of serious grace. <laughs> and that's why there's a parable Jesus tells that's so relevant. He tells a story of a son who's a prodigal, completely dishonoring his father. And when that prodigal has spent everything, the reaction he gets is completely unexpected. Because surely this son deserves to die. But what does the father do? He seeks the son. He runs to the son. He embraces the son. And he won't allow the son to return as a servant and earn his way back. But instead, he receives the son in grace, forgives him, and restores him as a son, and then celebrates it. But how could that be? I mean, if the son has debt that needs to be paid, how is that going to be taken care of? But remember, that's not the end of the story. There's an elder brother. Now, we all know when the estate is sold, if the one person has a lot of debt, the only person left to pay that debt is the brother. But this elder brother in the story is angry. He's mad. But there is a brother who will pay the debt for the son who dishonored the father. And he's the one telling the story. See, Jesus is the brother who goes and bears the death that all the dishonorers deserve. He pays the debt, raises victoriously, and gives the forgiveness that restores God's design actually to eternal improvement, making us right with our eternal Father, giving us brothers and sisters with whom we have eternal forgiveness. Jesus Christ gives this because God loves you, and Jesus Christ lived and died for you. So this morning, as you hear the fifth commandment, know this, the ability to forgive, the ability to honor, the ability to speak well, we don't have it, but Jesus does. And in his, in our place, he bore our debt and to us, he gives his life. So this morning, call on him. Perhaps today you've never asked him to forgive you. Do that today. But maybe today you're a Christian who needs to ask him to help you so you can make that phone call and watch him give you the grace for that too. Let's close in prayer this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a good father who loves to receive even dishonorable children. And I thank you that we have a perfect older brother who bears all of our debt and on the cross, Lord, all the sin that I have for times that I've disobeyed you and my authorities and my parents, Jesus Christ bore my death. But Lord, I also now need his life. I need his life so that I can forgive things. I need his life so that I can care for people rather than caring for myself. And I need his life because I'm a parent now. And it's a very hard thing. <laughs> So, Lord, thank you that we're about to take communion where Jesus says this, this is my body for you. Take, eat. 
And Lord, help us in faith to move towards Jesus Christ today because he is here for us, he loves us, and he will give us what we need. In his name I pray, amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's E-B-C-R-A-L-E-I-G-H dot com.